Welcome to Healing You, presented by Define You Radio, with host Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Committed to helping you heal with stories, tips, and strategies by guests who were once hurting. In order to define you, you must first heal you. Now your host, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Define You Radio Healing You series, where you will hear the stories and life lessons from guests who understand that healing is part of the process of defining who they are. Tonight, we are discussing overcoming brokenness. I'm your host, Valencia Griffin-Wallace, lifestyle designer and boldness coach, I'm also joined with the by the Healing You Advocates, Ms. Tasha Dearborn and uh, Ms. Connie Lee Bennett of Meraki Therapy. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for letting us heal your Sundays and make sure you follow and connect with the show on Blog Talk Radio. Well, tonight we're discussing overcoming brokenness with the author of Good Hearts Are the Easiest Broken, Ms. Beverly Vircher. For questions and comments, please feel free to press 1 on your line, or you can leave them on Define You Radio's Facebook page. Before we get into tonight's show, I want you guys to think about this, because I actually looked it up, okay? The word broken has more than one definition, from fractures to being violated. And when you think about it, you think about a fractured arm, you know, a broken bone, something of that nature. And when you think about being violated, think about broken trust. So I want you guys to think about maybe an area in your life or a time in your life, whether it's in the past or present, or maybe something you may have to deal with in the future where you have felt broken or you may end up feeling broken with all these different definitions of the word. But anything that's broken and not destroyed can be fixed. So with that being said, like I said, we're going to talk about overcoming brokenness. And I want to introduce our guest, Miss Beverly Vircher. She's an author and a motivational speaker. Her purpose is to empower and inspire everyone that she comes into contact with to dream big, trust God, and push. That means pray until something happens. Miss Beverly, are you there? I am. Hello. Hi, and welcome to Healing You. Thank you so much for coming on the show on this Sunday evening. And I'm so excited, and I know the audience is excited to hear your story and your life lessons with overcoming brokenness and and survival and so on. But why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about you? Um, well, my, okay, my name is Beverly Rusher. I'm an author and a motivational speaker. Um, I currently live in South Carolina, 
I was um, raised, I was born in South Carolina, I'm sorry, and I was raised in Massachusetts, and I came back to South Carolina um, when I was 17 years old. I have three children, two grandchildren. I've been married for almost 17 years now. Um, I've been a writer all my life. I started writing professionally in 2008. Um, and I took a little break from that for a while. Uh, I prayed about it. I had to find my bearings a little bit, and I started back writing again, and that's when I came up with Good Heart So the Easy is Broken, which is a fictional story. took me a while to write it. I prayed about it, and I came with this amazing story, which has led to me, um, for me to have lots of um, opportunities to travel and speak I've been in almost 20 magazines now. I've been on countless blogs. I've done four. This will be my fifth radio interview, as a matter of fact. And it's really keeping me busy. And it's just, it's just anything I can do to spread the word about how sometimes brokenness can be beautiful because that's when you find your strength and find who you really are and who God has called you to be. Um, so I guess that, that's just who I am. <laughs> And thank you for inviting wow. me on. I'm looking for you. Well, we're we're definitely excited to have you here. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about good hearts are the easiest broken. If you could tell us just a little bit about that story. Um, I am a hopeless romantic, so my my earliest writings were romance novel. So it started off like that. But since I wrote this book later on in life, closer, you know, to my 40s, I wanted it to be more meaningful and have more depth. So it's really an inspirational romance novel. So it's about not only love in a romantic sense, but finding love for yourself. I truly believe that, you know, the first person you should love deeply should, it should be yourself before anyone else, and that's how you learn to love someone else. So this story is just a journey in someone's life who she her whole, her whole life she's loved everybody else with everything in her and given everything to everyone else until finally she found how to love herself. Um, and it kind of ends tragically for her, and I did it that way because I wanted to show people how even when you try your hardest, Sometimes it fails, but that still doesn't mean it's over because we all are going to leave a legacy on this earth, and it's going to be, you know, your children or the work you've done or anything like that. So, um, like I said, it's inspirational. It is still a love story. It still has that love element to it that I love, but when you when you finish reading it, you're really going to be inspired to say, okay, my life isn't that bad, so I think mm. I can make it through whatever I'm going through. Wow. I, I love that. I especially love that you didn't um, it didn't have the typical love story ending, I'm guessing. So as we get into I'm going to definitely have to put that on my to-read to list and um, so I could check it out. But as we talk today about overcoming brokenness, what what does that make you think of? Uh, you know, when you think about your your life, do you 
go back to a particular point in your life or a particular um, incident in your life where you felt broken? Um, it, it would definitely be my childhood. Um, I was I was born when my mother was 17 years old. Um, and my mother never had a mother. Her mother died when she was around nine years old. So she had her older sister. And in that era, it wasn't really DSS and finding family. It was the older siblings kept the younger siblings. And with her being nine, my aunt was around 15, 16, around the age where she's really trying to, you know how you are when you become a teenager, you're trying to grow up. So my mother practically raised herself. So at 17, having a child, she had no idea what to do. So she was lost with a child. Um, and then she ended up having two more children after me who, again, she had no idea what to do. And I think my brokenness that carried throughout my life came from when DSS did step in and separate us. I was six. My brother, no, I was, I'm sorry, I was seven. My brother was two. And I, my sister was six months old. We were separated at that time and I've never seen them again um, after all these years. And I know that that is part of my my brokenness and what caused so many other things to happen in my life as well, some of the decisions that I've made um, that weren't all that good, you know, in search of having that family and having a mom and trying to find that father figure. And, you know, it, I, I know that that's where my brokenness started, at that seven-year-old little girl that I was. Hmm. And you said to this day you still haven't reconnected with your siblings? I have not. It's been almost, um, it's been like 36 years, 37 years. And what about your mom? She passed away. I moved back to South Carolina when I was 17. so funny that I was born when she was 17, but I moved back to South Carolina at 17 to try to find some answers and reconnect with her, which we did. Um, it was rough at first, very, very rough, because I still had all that anger in me for her. But when I moved back and I had a better understanding of what happened, um, we were able to heal and have a beautiful relationship before she passed away. But the problem with her is over the years she was an alcoholic and she was a drug addict. So there was a lot of stuff she just didn't remember. There was a lot of things she just didn't hmm. know. And I've learned a lot about the DSS system. When you're taken from the DSS, like by DSS, and you're actually adopted, you go to foster care and you're actually adopted, it's like they erase your past. I was old enough to know, and I stayed with family. But, like, I found out they even changed my Social Security number. You know, I didn't even know they do that. <laughs> they changed your Social Security hmm. and the records are filled for life. Um, you go on like a registry. I put my name on a registry. That way, if they ever try to connect, we can connect that way. But they were so young, if the parents didn't tell them they were adopted, they don't know they're adopted, so they don't know to look for their older sister. So it's, it's a lot. <laughs> and like I said, I know that that is, that is part of my brokenness, you know, something that I've carried all my life, you know what I mean? And um, I have a granddaughter that's almost seven. So I look at her and I'm like, 
you know, I want to protect her from the world because I, I know the seven-year-old little girl that I was and growing up with all that, and I can't imagine someone growing up and having to carry the burden that I've carried all my life. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit more about myself than I've shared with anybody, but <laughs> that's what this show is about. Uh, well, thank you. And it, You're welcome. it's interesting um, because some people know, you know, my – my background, my past, you know, with my mom being a drug addict, and um, she had me at 17, and when I was 17, she was murdered. Oh, wow. Uh, but there was the the drug addiction um, that happened, you know, in between that time very much affected who I was growing up. And, you know, like you said, it that's where you trace your brokenness back to your mom. And I, you know, can very much relate with that. And I want to kind of bring in uh, Tasha real quick, because Tasha works with, with teens on their, on their self-esteem. So Tasha, I want to ask you real quick. um, Do you see that a lot with the with the teams you deal with that their issue that you know that kind of loss of identity that brokenness that starts with their parents do you see where it's carried so far to where they end up you know having that brokenness throughout their life uh yes i would say yes it starts when they're young so it's whatever is happening in the home it usually tends to carry on throughout their life. Uh, me, as being one of those kids when I was young, um, I didn't start talking about things till I was 30 years old. So you hold it for a long period of time before you start speaking about it. Mm. Interesting. Looking, looking, Miss Beverly, looking now, um, because at, at seven, like you said, when you look at your granddaughter, at seven, you you know so much already, right? So, do you remember, like, how much of that do you remember? Like, do you remember the day they took you from your mom, or you kind of is it kind of like a a blurry time period, or is it like you can recount vividly how that went? I remember the day as if it happened yesterday. And it amazes me of some of the details that I remember. The only thing I don't remember is what happened, um, what worked up to us being taken. I was told what happened that made us finally get taken by DSS. But the day that I was taken, I remember that. Like I said, like it happened yesterday. I I remember... um, me going to stay with my grandmother, who was my father's mother. I had a real good relationship with my dad. Um, him and my mother weren't together. He had his own issues with alcoholism and stuff, but his his mother, my grandmother, practically raised all her grandchildren. So when DSS first came in, I went with them. Um, but my mother, being you know, being young, being I think at that point she was on alcohol. I'm not sure if she had gotten into drugs yet, and um, she couldn't have me. She didn't want my dad to have me, so it was a battle. But my grand, I remember my grandmother hiding me. Every time DSS would come to the house, she would hide me. 
under the bed, under the couch, and say, oh, she's not here, she's with a friend and this and this and that. And I remember she sent me to school. She she sent me to school in another town in the attempt to hide me. And I remember being in the gym, jumping rope. And I I hate jumping rope to this day, and I never knew why I did that, like I was scared that I was going to trip. I remember being in the gym, jumping rope. And I saw the lady come in talking to the teacher, and they looked at me, and it was something in me was like I knew that she was there for me. I just knew it. Um, and when she came and got, she talked to me, she said, you're going to ride with me. Um, I'm sorry if I get choked up. Um, excuse me. <laughs> she said, um, you're going to ride with me somewhere. And when we got outside of her car, I'll never forget, she had the little Volkswagen bug old one. And all my stuff was in the car. Everything was in the car. And she said, I'm going to take you um, by your grandmother's house to tell her bye. And uh, I was outside, all my cousins, and they, they let me say, but I remember that day like it was yesterday. It was the hardest thing I felt like I had ever been through saying bye. And I didn't see any of them again until I moved back here at, um, at 17 years old. And, um, oh, excuse me, oh, my goodness, um, I'm so sorry, you guys. I know, uh, yeah. no. I remember that day just clearly um, as if it happened yesterday. It was one of the hardest days that that I can recall. And mm-hmm. I've had some hard days, but that is one that I think I'll never forget. Well, thank you so I'm much so for – no, thank you. That's, that's what healing you is about. And I could tell you, it's, it's – a lot of times we're healed – so to speak, from a situation, but you still, when you, when you talk about it or when you think about it, you still get in that moment, you know, um, there are, you know, specific situations, you know, that I can recall, and I'm sure, you know, everyone can recall that they rem- could remember down to what they had on probably, and it almost takes you there, and there's something um Miss Connie, you know, talked yeah. about before she uh, about the it's the the what it the memory the body memory um, the situation when your head and your body like remembers the incident the incident that happens to where it kind of takes you back there. I can't think of the exact wording, but you you know we talked about that the body memory of the situation. Miss Connie. Oh yes. Um, I was just uh, in a space of 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 processing everything that. Really uh, amazing what she was sharing because in in talking you you heal and you release some of that energy. So it's beautiful when people cry, is because it is some of that release that you were talking about. Valencia that is stored in the body and you know I, I'd like okay I think Connie I'm breaking up a little bit uh, Beverly you can hear me okay I can hear you well yeah okay um, when you think about that memory 
uh, and that moment and, and just dealing with that, what helped you heal from that? Um, I think what helped me heal was when I was able to heal the relationship with my mother um, because I blamed that on her too. If she had done what she needed to do, I wouldn't have had to go through that. So once I was able to get a better understanding of who she was and what she had gone through, you know, I realized that really she didn't know any better. You know, I hate to use that phrase, but she didn't. Um, She made, not to say there was someone else's fault, but if if you don't know, you just don't know. Um, So... I had I got over it just by I shared it with her. I was able to release it with her to let her know what I went through um during that time frame, what I went through, what I felt being separated from my family. Because although I went to live with family, I didn't know them. I went from South Carolina to Massachusetts. I didn't know those people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those people that mm-hmm. they were family. I knew that the woman that adopted me that became my mother was my great aunt. She was my my grandmother's who had passed. Of course, I never met because she died when my mother was nine. She was my grandmother's sister. That's all I knew. And they lived in uh, Massachusetts. And I didn't know them. So I went to live with people who were basically strangers to me. Um, And I had a a wonderful childhood. She raised me um, as her own. You know, she gave me everything, you know, I needed as a child. I, I had a wonderful life. But I still felt incomplete, and for years I carried that anger towards my mother for that. Um, And so once I healed that relationship with her, I was able to heal a lot of other places in my life as well. And like I said, that healing did not come easily. We had some serious battles throughout the years, but at some point I had to just, let go of the anger and, and really and understand what she went through. I had to. At first, I didn't want to listen. There's no excuse to take care of your children. I don't care. You know how you just, right. you, you have this mindset. Like, I don't care. You take care of kids. I don't care what you're going through. But once I got a better understanding, I, I was like, all that was gone. And we had a beautiful relationship before she passed away in 2008. I mean, absolutely beautiful. So, when that heals, like I said, it heals so many other parts of me. Mm. It's wow. Our stories are very uh, similar, um, but it was it wasn't until after, of course, my mom died that I was um, in. I was able to forgive her because you do carry that. Anger, and you know, I even once admitted when I talked about it, I said, you know, nobody wants to say it honestly, but I said, you know, I had to admit to myself I hated my mom, I hated her because I didn't ask for those things. But me admitting to that and realizing, really looking at her as a person, you know, people aren't perfect, then I was able to forgive her, and then I was able to heal. Yeah. You know, forgiveness, and that's that's hard, you know, and I only can imagine the, 
I only could uh, imagine how that process would have went had I, you know, she was still had she still been alive when I did it. You know, I don't right. know if the process would have been smoother or less. You know, and we go through this destructive phase. And um, Tasha, is there anything you wanted to add at this point, or any questions you had? Um, no, not really no questions. Um, I just want to say um, I applaud you for being able to be open to tell us your story. Um, also, like, um, I kind of, it kind of puts me in mind of my mother. Um, she hasn't overcome the fact that she was adopted when she was young. Uh, she's never talked about it, and I think that's where a lot of her anger comes from now. So just hearing your story kind of gives me an eyesight on how she may feel. So I just want to say thank you. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Um, Being adopted is is one of the – I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm -mm, No, go ahead, because I was just about to ask you about that aspect of it being being adopted. So, no, go ahead. Um, It it can be hard because, um, in my instance, I still feel like some of the family never accepted me. Even though we were family, but, you know, a lot of them were young. Like, some of my nieces and nephews are older than me. I came into a family where the woman that adopted me, she was older at the time. She had already had 11 children. So I came in as the youngest of, of that group, and I feel like some of the older siblings didn't fully accept me either. Um... And I think it was just from, you know, they lived where, you know, they, when they were younger, they still lived in South Carolina. It was hard. They went through almost a pauperous life by the time I come through on the good end, you know, where they live in Massachusetts. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was a little bit, I say rebellious, but, you know, no one really understood what I was going through, the emotional state that I was. So I know I wasn't on my best behavior behavior, they felt like I should have been more grateful, look at where you came from, and, wow. you know, my thing was, I, I didn't have to come up here, I didn't have for her to come get me, you know, that's how I was, you know, mm-hmm. so for so many years, um, I had that battle with the with some of the family members, and, you know, I still feel like some of them never fully accepted me to where I have some that love me to death, you know, I have nieces and nephews call me auntie, they love me, I have, you know, sisters that I thought I have one sister that she's really like my best, best friend, you know. Um, that we keep in touch, and she's one of my, like, biggest supporters and stuff like that. But um, adoption is one of those things that it's hard. And I was talking to a young lady at work the other day, and she, um, she was a patient that came through, and she was talking about how she had to adopt her grandkids, and it's a battle at home with her kids and the grandkids, and I was able to give her some insight on that. You know, first of all, you have to understand that you're interrupting your children's lives, too. You know, if you didn't sit down and have a conversation with your kids prior, because that's the thing with my instance, it wasn't a lot of conversation. It was, I'm going down south to get my great niece, and I'll be back. You know what I'm saying? So Mm. you you just put somebody in the kid's life. You think they're supposed to conform to that, and they're just as confused as the children you're bringing in are. So there are a lot of conversations that need to be had, a lot of – patience and, a, you know, a, a lot that goes into adopting children. And I think that's the – I don't know the process. I've never looked into adoption. But I think there should be a lot of counseling on both ends, counseling 
on the family's end that's going to bring in the ch- the children and counseling for the children that's going into this new family. Even if it's family, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Even family, because nine times out of ten, these are strangers. Or these are people you've only seen once or twice. And I think there should be some kind of group counseling session that they go to to kind of blend it before they actually go into the home. Hmm. Wow. You made some, some powerful some powerful points, and I think people don't really think about that end because they think that, you know, like you said, the kids should feel grateful to be mm-hmm. out of that situation. And I'm sure they probably verbalized that to you and made you oh, feel yeah. like, look, you're the outsider. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I wanted my mother because at that time, I didn't understand. I wasn't mad at my mother at that time. I didn't start getting angry at my mother until I got a little bit older. But when they took me, you know, at seven, I was like, I want my mother. You know what I'm saying? I wanted my right. mother. So when you're telling me I should be grateful, grateful for what you took me from my mother. You know what I mean? Right. So it was a lot of years that I carried around a lot of anger. It was, then when I got mad at my mother, I was still mad at everybody else because I was, I, because I didn't know what went on, and my sister, who's now my best friend, gave me a lot of the information that um, I learned. She told me what happened, and she really helped me through the healing of my mother, too, because I was able to talk to her when I couldn't talk to anybody else. I was able to talk to her about everything when I was upset and why, and she helped me through that. She helped, She was like, let me explain to you what happened. She's the one who told me about my grandmother passing away, and she told me about the family history and all the things that went on. She even told me about what led up to us being taken. So, when I, like I said, when I got that information and I got a little older and it started to sink in and I started to understand, I could heal because it wasn't necessarily something someone did. It was just a series of circumstances, and it, it just happened. And sadly, uh, uh, her children were involved in that. Um, she ended up having two more children after us three were taken, and they were taken from the hospital. She wasn't able to even take wow. them home. Yeah, she wasn't able. When they took us, it was like she was to never, like, you know, back in the day, it wasn't really, it didn't really have to be law set in place. People could just make decisions. So when they took us, she couldn't have any more children. And after she had my youngest sister, which was her fifth child, she they taught her too. And that was it. She was not having it. And like I said, she didn't even get those, take those last two home from the hospital. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. That's, that's interesting. Because like you said, back then, it kind of was just, it is what it is when they already decided who you, who you are. But I think it's interesting how you still ended up with with family versus, you know, a, a, even though it was, you know, kind of a stranger to you, but it was still genetically family. Right. So I think that's very interesting. Tasha, do you do you have any kids in 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 your organization, any teens that are adopted or in in foster care that you know of? I don't have any now. Um, About two years ago, I did have one that actually 
came and lived with me. Um, I kept her for a while through a CPS case. Mm. And how did your kids react to that? How did your children react? Um, her school started calling like every single day, and they was wondering why is she constantly getting in trouble and it's not happening. And then they didn't have to find them. So I had to, you know, nip that in the bud. Interesting. That's Beverly. When you when you think about your situation and other people, you know, that you've talked to over the years, and when you have, you know, kind of grown into into you, because I think. Healing is a huge part of us really growing into who we're supposed to be. What do you think kept you in that broken stage? Um, just not understanding things. Um, like I said, a lot of things I did not understand. I had a lot of unanswered questions. And even, like, there were some that I did get answered, but I wanted them from my mother. We never had the conversation that I wanted all my life. All my life is just a conversation. You know, you, you play it in your mind how you want it to go. And we were never able to have it. She brushed it off so many times. And I learned that she just did. There's a lot of stuff she didn't know. Even in that time when she was going through the court system with DSS before she completely lost, she was out here on drugs. She was young. She was out here drinking. And at that, by the time we were going through the court system, she was on drugs and you know, it was almost like, whatever, if you want them, take them. You know what I mean? Um, so there was a lot of things she just didn't know. I tried to get answers like, where are my sister and brother? You know, where do they go? Who do they end up with? Who do I need to talk to? She didn't know any of that. And it was some stories that she made up in her head, you know, things that she made up. And I had to learn that that was her way of coping with it, too. And I, I know that. Over the years, I knew she had to be hurt from losing her children. Um, right. But um, I know I say I still stay broken from that. Um, it, in some point, um, it just turned into a different kind of brokenness to where, okay, I was able to heal from that seven-year-old little girl, but, okay, I still grew up feeling like I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't fit. I didn't fit in my family. For a minute, I felt like I didn't fit in the world. You know, I was asking God, why Why did you put me on this earth? You know, all these things happening. Because then I'm looking for a father figure. I started dating older guys who treated me like trash. You know what I mean? I started getting into right. relationships just to have somebody in my life, um, holding on to toxic friends because I felt like I needed somebody to call a friend. Um, just to a try lot to of create a family. To try to create a family. And um, it took me a very, very long time and a lot of bad decisions um, to finally say enough is enough. It's time for me to um, get my life together, especially when I had children. I had my son when I was 18 years old. And then at 19, I welcomed my second. And that was a very, very toxic, abusive relationship. And I held on until the point where we literally almost killed each other. But I wanted that family, and I was so afraid that my kids 
weren't going to have that family. I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to take care of my kids without him, and then they were going to end up like me. So I held on, you know, I held on literally for my life until finally, you know, I'm standing in front of a judge because I finally defended myself, and the judge told me, I can send you to prison for the rest of your life for attempted murder, and your children are going to end up with the one that put me in that position. Um, So at that point I knew, okay, this relationship has to end, but still years after that, you know, I, I still ended up in toxic relationships or quick relationship, me falling in love quick and, you know, you meet somebody you think it's a, I'm in love. They're just wanting hmm. somewhere to lay that. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And then when I, I really straightened up when I had my third child. I was 24 at that point when my daughter was born. Um, and she didn't have a father, basically. She just had me. The other two, you know, the toxic relationship, he was an awesome dad. He treated me like trash, but he was a wonderful dad. Um, and I had that backup. But with my youngest one, I didn't have that. And that was two from decisions that I made. I was um, in a relationship with, well, I thought it was a relationship. I thought, you know, he was my boyfriend, but apparently I wasn't. Um, and I started a relationship with someone else. So me not really knowing who her father was, I took it upon myself. She's she's mine. You know what I mean? She's mine. Right. Um. And I walked. Well, the the one that was supposed to be my boyfriend walked away. And she she'll be twenty next month. He never looked back. Walked away, and I let him walk away. I'm not gonna chase you down. I'm not gonna hunt you down. At that point, my mind had got strong. I'm like, I have I have kids to take care of, and I was. And excuse my friends, I'd be damned if they end up like me. I knew I had to mm. get my life together and get it together quick. So I ended up having to go back to school. I had quit school. Um, I had I went back to school. Um, I got a job. I started. I got me a car a few months later. I just started really building my life, and then when she turned, by the time she had turned two, my life was good. You know, I felt good. I was happier than I ever been. I didn't have any toxic relationships going on, and I, I met I met this guy, and I was like, Lord, I'm going to need you to give me a sign because I'm, I'm not even trying to go there. You know, I was okay with not having a man, um, and then he showed me the signs, and this year we'll be celebrating seven years, 17 years of marriage. Um and that hasn't been easy, too, because I still have things I have to battle with, with trusting, you know, trusting that he's the that he says he is. You know, I had so many, so many years of that, and, and we'll still we'll here and we're still fighting um, to, to have that relationship that we both want. Um, but like I said, a lot of my issues have come from, just the, the, the years of me trying to force things that really weren't there because I was so broken. Mm. And that, you know, kind of brings me into my next question. Um, you know, when I said earlier about, you know, trying to create a family, you know, when you were talking about dating, you know, men that weren't good for you, and here you've been, you know, in a relationship in a marriage for seventeen years, congratulations. Thank you. And I and and I say that because I know a lot of women don't get to where they could trust they feel like they can't trust themselves 
much less a, another, you know, another man or or trust and and be able to love again, especially when you kind of in in your deepest of deep parts, you you feel like you didn't have a family. So how do you even get to where? Okay, I I trust me. I trust what I'm doing. I can trust and love another person outside of my kids. How did you get to that point? And just prayer. Like I started to implement prayer in all of my decisions and asking God for signs and seeing the signs. The one thing I am, I learned when I was I was very, very young, I learned that I'm a dreamer and that God communicates with me through my dreams and through signs. And, like, when I met my husband, everything lined up so perfectly. It almost scared me. I'm like, am I really seeing this, you know, or is it because I want to see it so badly? But everything lined up all the way down to after we dated for a while, we had dated for for about two and a half months. We got married fairly quickly. But we had dated for, like, two and a half months, um, he finally invited me to his house. I worked second shift. He worked third. So the only time we could date was breakfast time. So one morning he was like, come over, I'll cook you breakfast instead of us going out. All the way down to he had a glass on his counter. It was the exact same set of glasses that I had at my house. And I don't ask me why. I knew at that point I was like, okay, God, this has to be that final sign you're telling me that this is a good guy. And even though I was at his house, he never even tried, because at first I was nervous about going over there. I was like, I know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get me to a top. I know what he wants. It ain't happening. He never even tried. He's like, I just want to feed you. We're going to talk. We're going to just spend some time together, and then we're going to go for a walk. And and on that walk, we talked about everything, like everything you could possibly talk about. It was so new and so different for me. I literally was like, am I, am I dreaming? Is this really what this is, you know? And then when the day right. was over, I called my sister and I said, I I think I have my husband. I said, I really, really mm. think that I met my husband. And, I, and at that point, we hadn't even told each other we love each other yet. But I knew, mm. I was like, I think I met my husband. And then um, a few weeks later, he went out with his friends and he called me. It was late one night. He was like, <laughs> he was like, I'm drunk. I need you to come get me. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, I need you to come get me. I'm drunk. I can't drive. I said, okay, I'll come get you. My sister was at my house. Kids are in the bed. I told my sister, I was like, I'll be back. I, when my, our kids were young, my sister and I was sitting out of each other's house. We'd bring the kids over. they uh-huh. play, and we just have, like, a pajama party or whatever. So I was like, I'll be back. I got to go get him. He's drunk. And so I brought him back to my house um, since I drove my car. I left his car, and um, – I said, I'm just going to let you go to sleep, and when we wake up in the morning, I'll take you to get your car. He said, okay. He said, um, so you going to marry me or what? I said, what? <laughs> he said, um, are you going to marry me or what? I'm tired of playing. I was like, just go to sleep. You're drunk, and we'll talk about it in the morning. And that next morning, wow. I'm looking at him all crazy. And he was like, you remember what I asked you last night? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I, you weren't talking to me. You was drunk. He said, no, I asked you to marry me. I said, what? He said, I'll do it the right way tomorrow. He went, got the ring, and I never mentioned I was scared to mention it because I'm thinking this dude is still drunk. He went, brought a ring, came back, and officially proposed. And 
that was it. <laughs> that was it. And we didn't want to wait. He was like, he had three children from a previous marriage. I had my three young children. He was like, we can either have this big, amazing wedding that you want or we can find a house. So at that time, I was living in an apartment, government housing, of course, and he had an apartment across town. He was like, we can either have this amazing wedding you want or we can get a house. I'm like, I'm all for the house. Let's do the house. And so we got married like five months after meeting, and we've been together ever since. Wow. And I knew that it was ordained by God. I knew it was the, the man that God sent for me. I, I knew it was. I never doubted that. Even when we were going through some tough issues, questioning whether we were going to keep it together, I never doubted that God sent him to me. Never. Not once in the whole time. Um, because it just lined up so perfectly. Perfectly. Did the relationship help you heal? It did. It helped me heal. It helped me heal in so many ways. So with my, especially with my trust issues, I started to feel like nobody loved me. Nobody cared for me. Like, I, I felt like that for so many years. Like, I, I, the phrase I always use, I just felt like I was out here in the world, just me. Um, you know how you speak and you think about people that you care about? I felt like no one was doing that to me. Um, and then to meet someone, have someone in your life who, who always thinking about you first. You know what I mean? That I, he, he always thought about me first. He was like, well, I was going to do this, but I decided to do this for you. Um, even he was so selfless, even with the kids. Like, he ended up adopting my youngest daughter because of the fact that she never really had a father. Um, we went through the whole um, DNA process with her father to determine who was going to. He still didn't want to have anything to do with her, but his family did, and they lived in New York. My husband took us to New York every year to, until her biological grandmother passed away. He took us to New York every year so she could know her family, even though technically she was his. But he was that selfless wow. with, with me and the, and the children. He never called them his stepchildren, never. These are my children. And, you know, to this day, I'm the one that's like, if you don't stop doing that for those grown kids, <laughs> and he, but he's always hmm. like, well, I got to do it. And I to, he, it helped me heal because I learned, okay, love is real. It's not just me. Um, it's not just me loving someone else. I, I am worthy of somebody loving me. I am worthy of that. Even with all my, my, my ugly background and even I, I felt like I was so ugly and so I felt like I was nothing and worthless. And he made me realize that, I can be loved, and I am worthy of being loved. So it helped me heal so much. Wow. You you have an absolutely beautiful and and, and powerful backstory would would be the word I would use, like the the backstory, because people will see you, you know, now and not really know the, the backstory. Of you, and I mm-hmm. thank you again for for sharing that. Um, I don't know if if Connie or or Tasha has any you know questions or comments. You guys, if you do, just go ahead and say them. Um, but I wanted to ask, why did you decide you wanted to to help women, you know, by speaking or and becoming a speaker? It began with me just speaking to promote my book 
Yeah, I uh-huh. never knew that I was going to end up sharing my own story. That was one of my greatest fears in life was telling people about my past because I, I was afraid to be judged or people looking at me crazy. So it, me speaking at first was just to promote uh-huh. my book, to share this beautiful story that I wrote. And then people would start asking, well, how do you relate to the book? And honestly, at first, I didn't even realize how much I related to the book. I ended up using, because it's a fictional book, I didn't want to write my personal story. But what I did was use some of the things that I have gone through in the story. So some of the things that my character, she has family issues. This is huge family secret that goes on because she was raised by her mom and just her mom. They had no contact with the other family. She didn't find out to her mother died why. So she grew up all her life really, in essence, without a family. Um, there's there's mm. so many subjects in the book that were some of the things that I went through. So my speaking turned out to, okay, this is, you know, about the book, and, okay, this is how I relate to it. This is what happened to me. And so once I started doing it and being more comfortable with sharing my story, I started sharing more and more and I realized how many women it was helping. Like, women would come to me and say, oh, my God, it's so amazing. I follow you on social network, and I would never think that you had gone through that. And people that know me for years, if anyone's listening tonight, their mouth is probably open like, oh, my God, I didn't know that. Because I don't just share it on wow. an everyday basis. But when I wrote the book and I prayed about it and I asked God for certain specific things and I promised him, if you open these doors for me, I'll do what you need me to do. And mm. I've learned that what he what he needed me to do was to share my story. I've learned that all the things that's happened to me in my life work for these moments right here, work for me to go out and speak and help other women. Because if I sat there in shame all my life and hid it, imagine how many other women there are out there that's holding on to all this pain and because they don't have a voice for them, I, I'm willing to be that voice. I'm willing to be that one to, to to open them up and, okay, let's share. You don't want to share with the world? Share with me. Let me be that voice for you or let um empower you. So many women reach out to me and, and want to talk to me. And, you know, someday there have been days that I have been hurting myself just hurting and have moments where I have to get by myself and meditate and cry and go through whatever I go through and then sure sure as anything I'll get a message and at first my me, my personal stuff like, oh my goodness, I don't have time for this. But that that other mm. lady inside me, the the lady that God needs to needs to be says, Okay, your issues aren't that bad. Help this lady, help this person. Um wow. and, and that's what I do. I just feel like this is my purpose in life, no matter what I go through. Um, my pain is to help someone else. My pain is the lessons that I need to learn so that I can help someone else that may not be as strong as me. There's some women that they may not they're not as strong as me that can take all the things I've and I've only given you guys a piece of it, my God. But there's some people that can't take it. And like one of the characters in my book, I'm gonna give that part away. She she kills herself. She commits suicide. She couldn't take it no more. Wow. Her brokenness destroyed her. 
You know what I'm saying? And I know that there are people out there, and that's part of when I speak too. You don't discuss it a lot in the African-American community. First thing you hear, black people don't kill themselves. Yes, they do. Some people aren't that strong. So I decided to use my pain, you know, to teach others. You can make it through this. Look at what I've been through. And I know a lot of people wouldn't, because I've even tried to take my own life twice. I tried twice. Mm-hmm. And that made me feel worse. I'm like, you can't even do that. You can't even kill yourself. Wow. <laughs> you know? But thank God he kept me here. And now I know all of this. I look back like, oh, my God, it just it makes sense now. There's no way I would learn what I've learned in a book. I had to live it. Mm-hmm. I had to feel it. And I had to face it. And now I know. And wow. now I can help others with the same issue. I know we have like eight minutes uh, left. That time goes by so fast. And I know we're definitely going to have a, have to do a part two. But um, Tiny is, is traveling, but she inboxed a question. So I want to go ahead and ask you that. Um, Connie wants to know, what does it mean to feel complete? Um, to me, it's just being at peace. Being at peace doesn't mean everything is perfect. It just means you understand who you are, why you're here, and what your purpose is. That's peace for me. That That's it. I know why I'm here. I know I'm going to have, still have some problems. I know I'm still going to face some adversities. I know I'm still going to have some pain, but I know what my purpose is. And I know to trust God and trust that he's in control of everything. And so I, I have peace from that. I have peace in the chaos at all times hmm. because I know what my purpose is. I, I love that response, and, and Connie said it was beautiful. <laughs> but I, I, I love that. I think that's like a huge part of, of healing and, and overcoming and, and feeling complete is being at peace with, with you, being at, at peace with those broken pieces and and know that broken is not destroyed. Those are two separate things. You know, they say a, a broken clock is right at least twice a day. Exactly. So broken, you know. So I want to, before the time's up, I want to make sure that, you know, we know what you have going on next and know how the listeners can connect with you and get more information about you. Okay. Um, my social media, I, on Facebook, I am author Beverly N. Versher. Um, on Instagram, I am Virtuous Gifts, that's V-E-R-C-H. U U S G I F T S Virtuous Gifts. I'm also on Twitter, that B N Virtue, and my website, www.beverlyinvertureonline.com. Um, and I have a lot coming up. Um, just quickly, on March the, I'm sorry, I, my memory is so bad. But on March the 10th, I have um, the Women of Purpose present Let's Talk About It. That's in Atlanta. On March the 11th, I have um, Red Hills in a City. It's a conference that brings awareness to AIDS and HIV um, survivors. And then on March the 25th, I'm a featured author 
for the Let's Dream, um, the, for the literary, African-American Literary Foundation, and that's going to be in Atlanta as well. Um, and that's just March. You can go on my website. I try to keep everything up to date. You can really see on my social media all my events and stuff that I have coming up. And I'm pretty booked this year. I have a lot of traveling that I'm going to be doing. And you can also book me on my website for motivational speaker, host, or keynote speaker. All that can be done directly through my website. Um, and my, you can contact me through my website as well if you have any questions or just want to talk. Yay. And, and guys, mm-hmm. her information is also posted if you're listening online. Her information with the website is posted in the show notes, and we will make sure it is posted on Define You Radio's main page. Make sure you connect with her. Before we we close out the show, Beverly, do you have any last uh, tips you would like to leave with the audience with overcoming their own brokenness? You can overcome. I just want to say that simply. You can overcome. Don't let anyone or anything make you think that is over. If God woke you up that day, that means you can overcome. Wow. Well, thank you so much for being on the on the show. Guys, I want to go ahead and leave with a quote for the week. This week's quote comes from Sheila Walsh. It says, my brokenness is a better bridge for people than my pretend wholeness ever was. With that being said, guys, make sure you connect with me and the show. Make sure you uh, at ValenciaGWallace.com. Make sure you connect with Ms. Connie Lee and Ms. Tasha Dearborn. Their information is also on Define You Radio and Definitely connect with tonight's powerful guest, Ms. Beverly and Virtue. Thank you so much again for being on this week's Healing You. You guys, going forward into next week, remember part of defining you is healing you. Make sure you join us, same time, same place. Have a great week. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening in to Healing You. Remember, you must heal you in order to define you. Join us next week, same time, same place, as we continue the healing journey together. Yay!